Okay, so now since we're in the, uh, the, um, the season of Advent, I thought might as well uh, give you an Advent talk, right? So in today's um, liturgical calendar, Bible readings, um, today is based on Isaiah 11 verse 1. And uh, you'll probably all know this verse. And so this today is a three-part message that will be, all be in the same sermon. So think of it as a poo sandwich. So you'll have a bit of bread. Then, what did he say? Then, uh, this, is, this is what we, we train our leaders. We talk about poo sandwiches all the time. It's like, if you're going to tell something nasty, tell them something good, get to the bad bit, then tell them something nice. It's called a poo sandwich. Okay? And if anyone has a biblical problem with that, look to the book of Revelation. Jesus, how he deals with the seven churches. He says... Oh, you guys, you're awesome. But I do have this against you. By the way, you're awesome. Unless you're the Laodicean church and he was just poo. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. So anyway, so today is a like a sandwich sermon. So this is called the righteous branch of the Lord. And uh, it says in Isaiah 11 verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay. Now, I'm going to... The first part of this talk, we're going to unpack this because often we, often we look at these passages and we just read them out, but we don't really know what they're going on about. We don't really think about it. So I'm actually going to break this down for you. So there shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. So three things we need to look at here is a shoot, um, a stump, and who is Jesse? Okay, so we're going to look at that first. So obviously, this scripture is a messianic scripture. In other words, it's about Jesus. Yeah, um, and so obviously that's quite clear. But we need to look at some several things here. So the first question that we need to ask is, who is Jesse? All right, does anyone here know who Jesse is? Awesome. I was preaching to the choir. I like it. Okay. So firstly. There was a, a lovely Bible story in your Bible. If you haven't read it, you should read it. I recommend the youth, you should read it. It's a, it's a really nice love story. Okay, it's like a Mills and Boons sort of set halfway through the Old Testament. And uh, Mills and Boons, what's that? Okay, never mind. And so there's this lady called Ruth, and she had a husband, and he died in war. And uh, Ruth was a Moabitess, so she wasn't uh, an Israeli or anything. And her mother-in-law was from the land of Israel. And so her mother said, well, there's nothing for me to, hit to be here anymore. I'm going back off home. And Ruth was like, hey, I'll go where you go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So she moves back with Naomi back into Israel. And each day she's gleaning some rich man called Boaz, his field, and you know, picking up the bits that are left over from the, from the harvest. And he's very kind to her, and he gives her, like at the end of the day, he says, you know, hold up your skirts like this, and he fills it with grain for her and things, and off she goes. And uh, it's a bit of a nice sort of gentle love story, but Boaz realizes he's her kinsman redeemer. That means he's kind of like next but next in line to raise up some seed or children on behalf of the brother that died. So long story short, those two get married, okay? So all's well and good. And then those two, they have, they have kids. What are their kids called? Oh, you yeah, had one called Obed, okay? Then Obed grows up, and he has kids, and one of those kids is called? Jesse. No, no, because Jesse, yeah, that's right, yeah. So one of those kids, I'm getting confused now. Right, okay, so, uh, so they have a child. So Ruth and Boaz, they have kids. That One of them's called Obed. And uh, no, that's right. Yeah. And he marries and his wife gives birth to Jesse. That's right. Thank you. And who is Jesse? 
David's dad. Okay, who's David? Right, anyway, he's a really important king, a very famous ancient king. Now, in the Old Testament culture, it was really important that you honoured the parents. So even though King David is the famous one, they will honour the father before the one that's famous because it shows that if someone's famous, they must have had good parents, right? Amen? So my, pa- my, my parents must be so proud of me. Uh, but anyway, so... But I'm so proud of them. But that's one of the things that I think that we often lack in today's culture, isn't it? We don't quite honor our parents in the way, now don't get me wrong, I know that some people have come through some traumatic upbringing. But nevertheless, in these times, in the Bible times, their, their lineage was really important. It was really important that you knew where you come from, what family you were associated with. Okay, and so this was quite important. So King David was a very famous king that came out of this this time. And so in Isaiah 11, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So the next question we need to ask is, um, why is the lineage of Jesse called a stump? What does he even mean? So I want you to think of a tree, very high tree. Someone comes along with a chainsaw, chops it off. All that's left is a stump. That's really what we're talking about here. This is not actually a good thing to start with. To be called a stump is not good. So the book of Isaiah was written in 740 BC, okay? And for the politically correct ones, BCE, okay? So for BC, so 740 years before Christ was even born, this was a prophecy that was given that from this failed royal dynasty would come one that would re-establish it again. So to take you back, so, so Isaiah was set some 740 years before Christ and some 300 years after the death of David, okay? So... Um, Solomon was the son of King David, and when Solomon ruled, he was known. At, it was known at that time as the Golden Age of Israel. It was the best Israel had ever had it under the kings of Israel. Such a wealthy, such influential, such a wise king. And in the end, Solomon died, and then one of his sons came to power, and his son's name was Rehoboam. Now, this is where things went south, literally. So what Rehoboam did is he spoke to his counselors. First of all, he spoke to Solomon's old wise counselors, and he said, look, I'm going to become king. How can I, how can I be a good king to the people of Israel? And they will say, well, what you could do is lessen the burdens on the people because your father did exact a lot of taxes from the people. If you lessened it, that would go well for you, make you, you know, a good start for you as a king. And then he went to his younger advisors, and he said, well, what do you think I should do? And they're like, yeah, you think your dad was bad. You should be tougher, leaner. Don't be some weak king. Show them who's boss around here. And so he decided to go with the young, the young people and their advice. What happened was a big revolt. Ten tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel said, yeah, we're done with you. And they all moved north, okay? And then they became known as Israel. And two tribes, which stayed in the south, uh, was Benjamin and Judah, and they stayed in south near where Jerusalem was. And that's pretty much how it was. So then you had the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and the kingdoms were then split. So this was not good. It was kind of embarrassing for the time of Israel. And then later, around 586 uh, BC, that old king Nebuchadnezzar, he came in and uh, he, he basically chopped down the rule of the Davidic kings. After Nebuchadnezzar came in, the rule of the Davidic kings were brought to a close. And as I said, chopped down, so to speak, and became a stump. Interestingly, that's probably one of the reasons why Nebuchadnezzar had that prophecy against him, saying you were like a mighty tree, but you'll be chopped down and made into a stump. So it was um, you know, a bit of retribution there. So 
and then Isaiah gives us this wonderful prophecy. Now, you've got to understand that in the backdrop of Isaiah, you know, the Davidic kings, it looks like that whole lineage is finished and there's like some kind of thing going on, but it's not what it once was. And then they get this wonderful prophecy saying, out of this stump will come a shoot who will become a branch. And, and it looks like there is hope for the people of Israel. And when you get terms like branch, and things like that in the Bible, you've got to really pay attention to it because there's a theme here. So in Zechariah 6, verses 12 to 13, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold a man who is, whose name is the branch. He will branch out from where he is. Isaiah 10. And, uh, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus, he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices, the priest and the king. So this is an amazing prophecy. So this is a prophecy that's basically saying that a Jewish king will one day come back, and he will build the temple, and he will rule and reign over the nations. Now, this is where we need to be very careful moving forward, because you see, the Jews at this current time are expecting a Messiah and are waiting for the Messiah to, to, to return or appear. But he's not the Messiah that we're expecting to return. You see, they know, according to their scriptures, as we've just read, that the Messiah will rebuild the temple. So they're, who they're looking for is someone who will build their temple. So they're looking for a natural man. They're not looking for some, some supernatural being. They're looking for a natural man who will help them rebuild their temple. Okay? Any ideas who that would be? The Antichrist. Okay? You know, not a nice man. So who the Jews are looking for as their Messiah is actually the Christian Antichrist. Okay? And he will rebuild the temple uh, in the future. And when that temple is made, then three, years in, three and a half years into that temple being built, then he decides to erect his own image, which is the image of the beast, uh, which he puts in the most holy place, the image of abomination. Uh, and then that's then when the, the Antichrist decides, hey, we're not going to uh, worship the one true God anymore. You're going to worship me instead. And if you don't, this statue that will come to life, well, you know, well, well, and on it goes, and the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. If any Iron Maiden fans here, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, anyway... So, sorry? Yes, yes. Uh, so from the, from the Zechariah passage, we can glean that when the Messiah comes, he will rebuild the temple. Now, when Jesus died and went to heaven, he did start rebuilding his temple. Because we are all here living stones that neatly fit together to make the temple or the household of God, okay? But when Jesus actually returns, he will actually build the re rebuild the temple properly. And that's Ezekiel's temple that's, bit that's uh, mentioned at the last, I think, uh, from chapter 40 onwards in the book of Ezekiel. That is the temple that the Messiah will rebuild when he returns. So it's important you know this stuff because, you see, in the end of days, when the Antichrist appears, it may, some of the signs and wonders that he will produce may even deceive, if possible, the elect. In other words, these are deceptions of such high standard, such high caliber and power, that even the, even the elect could be deceived. Okay? That's why, as Christians, you really need to know your Bible in the days that we're coming into, as we're moving faster and faster towards the end of time. Because guess what? Jesus is coming back. So look busy or do something. But Jesus is coming back. It's, and so we need to be in a place where we understand the signs of the times that we're coming into. Hallelujah. 
Isaiah 11.1, 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And this links to another lovely passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23.5, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So we see the beginnings of this prophecy starting to come to pass in the Gospels. Let's turn to our Gospels for a minute. The trouble is when you read the Gospels, especially the Christmas stuff, is that you just put on these like little Christmas glasses and you don't really see the wood for the tree sometimes. You're just so used to hearing certain phrases they don't really think about what we're reading. Luke 1, 31 to 33, this is where Gabriel comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary and he says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Who's the house of Jacob? The Jews. Israel, okay? So God hasn't done away with Israel. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, when Jesus comes back, Jesus is not English. That may surprise to you, some of you. Jesus is not American. He's not any other nationality. He is Jewish. He is the Jewish Messiah, and he is the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. And he will come back to Israel, and he will rule and reign over the nations from Mount Zion. Okay, there will one day be a Jewish king that rules the nations. That has to be said because there's a lot of people have some peculiar funny ideas about Jesus in that respect. Now it's time for the poo in the sandwich. I'm sorry to use that word, but we now get to need to get to the serious part of today. Um, and that is, if we're talking about branches and stuff, and if a tree is to survive, okay, then the branch must bear fruit and it must grow leaves. If a branch doesn't grow fruit and doesn't grow leaves, obviously depending on what breed of what type of plant it is, the tree will actually die. Okay, And this is where it comes now back to us within the context. Because you know we know that scripture in, in John where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you and me. And, uh, and so what happens to branches that don't produce fruit? They get cut off. And even the ones that do produce fruit get a little snip, snip just to help them produce more fruit. John 15, 1 to 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that will be even more fruitful. Is it warm in here or is it me? Well... So, <laughs> it isn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's just hot. So, so now the Apostle Paul, he takes up this warning as well to the church. Now, now this is, I love this. You know, you get a lot of Gentiles that say, ah, God's done away with the Jews. He's finished with them because they did this and did that. Well, they don't apply that same logic to themselves. Okay, listen to this. Paul just making this point clear. Romans 11, 21, 22. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. A little bit of 
Fear and trembling there. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. It's good to have a little bit of fear of the Lord again in the church, isn't it? Amen. Hallelujah. So every Christian, as a branch of the vine, has an obligation, an obligation to bear fruit unto God. Because if we don't, <laughs> out come the secretaries. So we do have to get serious here for a minute because um, it, this is a very sombering verse. In John 15, 6, Jesus says, look, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. It's like, whoa. I'm sure you're all very, very well aware that the Church of England, it's not the Church of England, sorry, but the Church in Britain is in a very nasty state of decline. Okay? It's not in a good way. And I believe over the next few years, you're going to see lots of churches just being shut down for various different reasons. As God literally chops them off the vine for being productive, sorry, not being productive, being useless and inefficient churches and not bearing fruit. But let's be careful here. It's all very well good to say, well, that's that church down the road. That's not here. Now let's bring it to here. Let us bring it to me. Let us bring it to you. Okay? How are we living our lives? How, how is our life reflecting the things of God? So, for example, some questions. This is like the MOT bit that we have to ask ourselves. And this is what Advent is about, actually. It's a time of reflection. As we're preparing for the coming king, who was, I know he was born 2,000 years ago, but as we're preparing for the coming king, it was a time traditionally in the church, always has been for 1,800 years, where the church would, would fast. Did you know that? Church actually fast over this period. You know, they called Advent the mini Lent because it was like about 20-odd days where we would fast leading up to, or 24 days leading up to the actual feast day of, of the birth of Christ itself. And it was a time of, of reflection. It was a time of getting ourselves ready. And so questions were asked like this. How am I personally contributing to the body of Christ? How am I bearing fruit for Jesus? Do I have the fear of God in my life? Am I growing in my faith? Am I closer to God this year than I was last year? And if not, why not? What is my prayer life like? How much time in the day do I actually spend in prayer and in the scriptures? How much of my life and my time and my money do I invest into God's kingdom? How much time in a week am I spending with the body of Christ other than a Sunday meeting? Do I really love God? Do I really want to obey him? Does my want to obey transpire amount to anything beyond simple wishful thinking? Tough questions, right? They're not nice questions, but they're, but they're honest questions. They're truthful questions. And yet we have to ask ourselves all of these questions every now and then. Because we have to prepare not just for the first advent, but the second advent, which is the return of Christ. Amen? Because he is coming back. We don't know when, but he's coming back. And so when we celebrate the year season of Advent, we are continually reminding ourselves of the soon coming king. Firstly, as a baby, and then the soon coming king as a mighty warrior when he comes back to the earth. So as I said, there are two Advents, little baby Jesus, and then when he comes back, a ruling, conquering king where all his enemies will be subject to him and you might think what gives him the right to do that i tell you what gives him the right to do that he created everything the fact that you're even here breathing right now is because he's allowing it the bible says we live and move and have our being in him 
you know? God will let you live the most wicked and profane life that you could ever imagine. He'll let you do it because he's given you free will. But mark my words, everything that you have done, everything that you should have done, will be held against you if you do not know Jesus. It's Jesus that, that, and, and him that comes before us. You see, Jesus is, you know, just this old, um, old analogy. You've got, over here you've got man, over here you've got God, and this is the valley of sin. And it's this valley of sin that separates us from God. But it's the cross of Christ that is the bridge which we can go across. So Christ took upon himself the, the, the burden of sin so that through that barrier, through that burden of sin that Jesus dealt with on the cross, we can come back and be reconciled to God. That's why Christmas, that's what Christmas is about. It's about God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Given! Given that he may die on a cross, uh, God gave a gift that he knew that most of humanity would go, not today, thank you, not interested in that Jesus stuff. That's, what kind of love is that? What kind of love is someone that would give up his own son, that would sacrifice his own son, even knowing most of humanity would deny it and say, I'm not interested? What kind of love is that? Would you do that? Would you give up your own son for a people that, quite frankly, don't deserve it? I mean, that's, it, that's what it comes down to. How dare you say that they don't deserve it? Because we all deserve judgment because of what the things that we've done in our life and the sins. But this is the goodness of God that he gave us a way out, and it's through his son, Jesus. Why would he do that? Because God's not a bad God. He's not out to get you. It's because he loves us. That's why Jesus was born. That's why Christmas is so important. And that's why we need to celebrate it. And that's why it's a time of reflection for us as Christians in the light of the coming birth, you know, as we reflect on what happened 2,000 years ago. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, is a famous Lutheran Christian um, around about the time of the Second World War. He said, who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism, beside the manger, whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high, whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. It's learning to get that perspective right again. It's learning to see that, you know, that even though when Jesus was born as a baby, he was still the most powerful human ever to walk this earth with angels at his charge. He was and forever is eternally the king. He came from eternal, from, from, from eternity as ruling king, came and stripped himself of all his glory, all his power, all his majesty, and took on humanity. And I can imagine the angels in heaven not understanding this mystery of mysteries. What is my man that you are so mindful of him that you would strip yourself of your glory and enflesh yourself in that human flesh and walk around and become one of them? What is man that you are mindful of him like that? Because he loves us. Isn't that amazing? That G, because there's a, there's a wonderful verse, I've said this before, but Job says, Oh Lord, if there was only one that could mediate between God and man, I have the solution. One who is fully God and one who is fully man. He can be the mediator between God the Father and man. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. But the thing I love about Advent is actually 
having said all that, coming back to the other slice of bread now, is it's a time of great hope for us as well. Because you know what, Christmas is an origin story, okay? Everything has to have an origin. You know, Star Wars is always an origin story. Any great hero, there's an origin story. Where did this person come from? That's why it's important that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Because, because the one, that, the Lamb of God that died on the cross to save us from our sins must have come from somewhere. What's his story? Where did he come from? And when you see all the Old Testament prophecies, nearly like some of them nearly over a, th- a thousand years, pointing to the Messiah, and then you have in the days of Jesus, everybody was expectant of the Messiah. How were they expecting the Messiah? Because Daniel's prophecy, the book of Daniel, Daniel's 70th weeks that were given some several hundred years before, predicted to the year when Jesus would be born and predicted to the year when Jesus would die. That is a technical impossibility. There are so many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. If he filled eight of them, apparently it's something like 10 to the power of a thousand or something. It's impossible. But he didn't fulfill 10 prophecies. He fulfilled 320 or 330 of them. That is staggeringly impossible. He can't choose where he's going to be born. He can't choose where he's going to die. He can't choose any of that. It was all pre-written nearly a thousand years before, hundreds of years before, and Jesus fulfilled it all. All of Old Testament prophecy was expectant and looking to the coming of the Messiah. Therefore, how much more should we as believers be living our lives expectant and celebrating the birth that all the scriptures prophesied to the birth of that Messiah? How much more should we celebrate it? And then how much more with that mindset we should we be expecting and waiting and yearning for the return of Jesus? Amen? Hallelujah. You know... How can you preach the gospel of Christ if we don't preach the origin story? It's just like, it's like, it's like, it's like having a New Testament only. It doesn't make sense if you don't know the first part. Without the first part, the second part, without, you know, it just doesn't make sense. You have to have the whole thing. I remember reading this story once, and this guy, he was um, a Greek gentleman, and he was given a New Testament, and he read it all, and he said, it was brilliant. He said, but I just felt like there was a massive part of the book that was missing. Because the Old Testament. If you don't preach, if you don't celebrate and preach the origin story, then it just doesn't make sense in context of what Jesus really came to do. The birth of Christ is the most magnificent mystery ever to happen. It's split time from BC to AD, or if you want to be politically incorrect, politically correct, BCE to BC. You know, BCE to CE, sorry, yeah, before common era to common era. Okay, basically, Jesus split that time in half. And we've been celebrating the birth of Christ, even in our dating system, AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, we have been celebrating the birth of the Messiah for all of this time. It's one of the most incredible events to ever take place in living history. It's more important than what took place on Mount Zion. And sorry, Mount Sinai. It's more important than what took place at the beginning of creation. It's more important than creation itself that God himself would take on human flesh and come and live amongst us. I'm reminded of that, that really peculiar song, What If God Was One Of Us? You know, just sat like a stranger on a bus. Because that's literally what Jesus did. He came and became one of us. He came to choose to live in our muck and in our joy and in our pain and our heartache so that he can identify with us. 
So he knows how we feel. He knows what it's like to, to, to lose your father. He knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it's like to be you know, mocked and, and, and betrayed and people saying cruel things about him and then to have himself, you know, he got whipped and brutally beaten and abused and all manner of things. And kidnapped, yeah. All sorts of things. He knows. You know, people seem to think that Jesus somehow, well, he wouldn't know how I feel. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's been there himself. And as you're going through it, he suffers with you. But that's the goodness of God. That's the good news of Advent. It's a new hope. And so I want to end with say, say today with uh, how can we prepare ourselves for the birth of our King, amen, as we're coming towards Christmas time again. So firstly, ask God to help you to draw near to him. We want to get close to God, right? No, just me? <laughs> so ask God to help you draw near to him. Secondly, okay, I know you're charismatic, but practice times of silence to actually stop and think and meditate. And think and meditate on the mystery of the incarnation. Incarnate means when something takes on flesh. So the incarnation is where God took on human flesh. And meditate and ponder on how your life is going as well. And how is it preparing for the arrival of Jesus, both as the baby and as the soon returning king? Thirdly, spend some time in repenting. No, that's something we don't do very much, is it? But, but repenting to God for parts of our lives that are simply not fit for purpose spiritually or areas that we need, seriously need to improve on. Where we just come before our God and say, Lord, can you please show me things in my life that you're not happy with, that I can put right? Fourthly, Humble yourself. Do some fasting. Hey, who's up for some fasting? Yeah, a couple of people. That's good. Fasting is important. Uh, it's a good way of humbling ourselves before our God. Um, and so use this season to really seek God and humble ourselves before him. As I said, the church for 1,800 years has always been doing this and fasting as well. Ask Jesus how you can serve him better. Because remember, he is your Lord. He is your God and he is your king. And it's like, Lord, how can I serve you better? How can I, how can I make, you know, live my life in a way that, that's worthy of you as, as my king? Sixth, try to develop a more richer appreciation of what the celebration of Christmas is really about. Don't get dragged into the whole materialistic thing, but deeply ponder its spiritual significance to you. I appreciate we all get built, caught up in the busyness of it, but it's important to take those moments to actually stop and think, what is it really about? And why is it so important? And finally, ask yourself, how are you and I preparing for Jesus' second coming at this time? How, how are we living our lives? Because let's put it this way. If you knew Jesus was coming back next week, how would, you live, how would we live our lives? That's the question. And so with that's the question, it's like, mm, you know, there's a few things I need to up my game on. There's some things I need to put right, etc. I need to speak to my mother about this, that, and the other, or I need to forgive that person for over there. You know, now's the time to get things right because Advent is the beginning of the church calendar. This is where the church year begins, actually, at Advent. And so this is like a time of fresh starts, new beginnings, put things right, get things right for our Lord and God and our Saviour. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your God and Saviour, this is the opportunity for the best Christmas present you could ever have, which is Jesus. He is God's gift to you, and he is the best present you can ever, ever have. Hallelujah. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that as we come to Advent, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the birth of Jesus and all that he is to us and all that he's done for us, Lord. Help us, Lord, over these next few weeks, Lord, to uh, really take time to reflect and ponder, Lord, what you did for us at the, at the cradle, Lord Jesus, and how it went from the cradle to the cross. And we just give you all the praise and all the thanks and all the glory. Thank you, Father, for your manifold wisdom in sending your Son in human flesh. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.